Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. And hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, June 4th, 2015. And tonight is Rescission Decision. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Amgar, and the Garfield firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. Living Lies, with over 10 million visits, is the number one place on the Internet to, to get information, forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosure, defense, consumer loans, and student loans. Our mission is to share as much information as we can to help, right now, beleaguered homeowners and other people who may not be aware of the effect the housing crisis has had. And we are accomplishing our mission, as more and more judges are seeing that the facts are not as they appear on the papers that are being used by banks, trustees, and servicers to foreclose. Tonight, the empire strikes back and says those fraudulent mortgages, those fraudulent notes, those fraudulent foreclosures are all void if the borrower takes some simple steps. I've been talking to lawyers around the country who have had success in the courtroom in dealing with these fraudulent foreclosures. And with the recent RICO decision in New York, we might see some results on that within about a year. But what about the rest of the time and everybody else? And the recent decision in which the appellate court turned the prevailing question in the judiciary on its head and asked, What difference does it make if the borrower stopped paying if the foreclosing party had no right to collect or foreclose? There's no doubt in my mind that virtually all the foreclosures are defensible and that the mortgages and notes that were used at closing were at best deficient and therefore not enforceable, but in most cases just plain, void, and fraudulent. But getting to that point in court, 
is something we can't do without becoming well-versed in in securitization of debt and without being able to present it convincingly to judges who are still, many of them, perhaps most of them still, hostile to any defense. They are still asking the question, what difference does it make who the money is owed to as long as the borrower is in default? If that were the case, then all foreclosures would end at the pleading stage, which essentially many judges are treating it just that way. You simply need a computer to scan the allegation of the default and the entitlement to uh, foreclose on the note and mortgage, and a judgment would spit out. But that's not what's happening as more and more and more homeowners are winning their cases against the banks and servicers and trustees, none of whom have a single cent invested in the loan and none of whom none of whom have any actual right to enforce anything against the homeowners who signed documents at a supposed closing without knowing what was really going on. Most lawyers recognized immediately that the prevailing question that those judges were asking was wrong, but that still has governed the decisions in millions of foreclosures. It was a million times wrong. The lawyers with whom I have been speaking all agree across the country that what I have reported on my blog is correct as to Teal of Rescission. That is a refreshing change for me from the scorn that I endured when I stuck to my guns on Teal of Rescission starting in 2007. I said it was the answer to the fraudulent acts of the banks and servicers, and so it is. And so the Supreme Court says it is. So what does that mean? Well, when you take it as a whole, it means that foreclosure defense is muddy and uncertain, whereas foreclosure offense is pure and simple. If a borrower sends a letter saying that he or she or they hereby cancel or rescind the loan, it is canceled by operation of law, and the note and mortgage are void by operation of law. That also triggers a duty on the part of the so-called lender to do three things. First, return the canceled note. Second, file satisfaction of mortgage or in other states a release and reconveyance. And third, return all monies that were ever paid by the borrower, either at closing or in monthly payments. So if a borrower sends a letter saying that he or she hereby cancels or rescinds the loan, it is canceled, and the note and mortgage are void by operation of law. We know that because the statute says it. We know that because the Federal Reserve says it. And we know that because the highest court in the land, which is final, the the United States Supreme Court unanimously decided 
that this was true, that by the stroke of a pen, a homeowner cancels the loan. Now, if the bank fulfills or complies with the duties that are set forth in the Truth in Lending Act, it may then make an unsecured claim against the borrower for whatever balance is due. Or they can file a lawsuit to, to vacate the rescission based upon their perception that the rescission was should not be effective because of the statute of limitations, because it was a purchase money mortgage, or for any other reason. A letter, which many people have received, saying, we got your notice of rescission, you're not entitled to rescind because, does nothing. Because by operation of law, the rescission is already effective. That's the same thing as filing a lawsuit and getting a judgment. That's what by operation of law means. And so, if they send that letter, the only thing they've accomplished is providing proof that they received it. Anything else they have to say in that letter is irrelevant. If they don't bring a lawsuit within 20 days from the date of notice of rescission, then they've waived the defenses. And so in an action to enforce the rescission, the only allocation to make is that you sent the, the notice and that the duties are set forth in the Truth in Lending Act. The banks will take a contrary view. There will be litigation on this, but they're going to lose. Ultimately, they're going to lose. I said that in 2007, and I was right. And I'm saying it in 2015, and I'm right now, in my humble opinion. Okay, I'm not so humble. So the banks can't, cannot avoid the rescission. It is effective by operation of law. It doesn't matter whether you are right or wrong in sending the rescission. The banks must file the lawsuit within 20 days from the date the notice was sent, seeking to vacate your rescission just like they would vacate a judgment if they think you were wrong. If they don't waive their defenses, that is the considered, uh, if they don't file the lawsuit, they waive their defenses. That is the considered opinion of every lawyer I know who has studied this issue. And, of course, that has been my opinion since I first looked at the statute, Tila, in 2007 thousands of judges in hundreds of thousands of cases got it wrong some trial judges that I know of in Arizona actually threatened lawyers with sanctions if they even brought up the Truth in Lending Act those judges were dead wrong dozens of appellate decisions and opinions from the federal bench and the bankruptcy courts and others all said that the borrower had to file suit in order for the rescission to be effective, and also that the borrower had to tender property or money to be effective. They all had it wrong, and we know it's wrong 
because whether you agree with it or not, the U.S. Supreme Court has made a final determination, and it is the court of last resort. So it is now the law of the land that all those judges were wrong, which brings up a whole bunch of issues, both as it affects present people who want to rescind and people in the past who rescinded and whose rescission was ignored. Remember, if the rescission canceled the loan and made the note void and made the mortgage void, anything after that was void. And whether it was in a court or not, the court lacked jurisdiction to consider the question regarding the note and mortgage because the note and mortgage did not exist. And a jurisdictional issue can be raised at any time. So there are a whole host of issues that are now being tested across the country on rescissions from years ago, rescissions from recently, and rescissions being filed now on old loans and new loans and uh, uh, medium-term loans. So the plain truth is that the Supreme Court has said that the statutory scheme for a teal of rescission is not ambiguous. And in fact, Justice Scalia was seemed to be rather irritated that all those judges had got it so wrong. They got it wrong because they wanted to get it wrong. They got it wrong because they didn't want to see the borrower escape from liability to, even if it was, to people who weren't entitled to collect anything. They got it wrong because they wanted to get it wrong. And they made up their own minds and made their own law, despite the statute, which was crystal clear. It was crystal clear on its face. It was crystal clear to the Federal Reserve that issued Reg Z saying the note and mortgage were void upon dropping the notice in the mail. And it was crystal clear to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's crystal clear to me. So, and like I said, even if you disagree with it, it doesn't matter. The Supreme Court has spoken. The issue is over. The only question is how to use it. The Supreme Court said that any attempt to interpret that statute is out of line. Courts do not have discretion to reinterpret a statute that is clear on its face. The hundreds of thousands of decisions and threats from the bench were all dead wrong. And whether you agree or disagree, Supreme Court has made the final decision. Rescission is effective by operation of law when it is dropped in the mail, period, end of story. So whether you were or are right or wrong, when you sent or send the notice of rescission, the deal is canceled. Anyone who interprets it differently is doing two things that are wrong. First, interpreting a statute which is clear on its face and already ruled upon by the highest court in the land, and they're getting it wrong in terms of just reading the statute and Reg Z, which controls the whole thing. 
There is no other interpretation of effective by operation of law because the Supreme Court, under the annoyed pen of Justice Scalia, has said there is nothing to interpret. When the rescission was mailed, it was effective by, effective by operation of law. During the 20 days from the date that the notice is sent, the duties of the lender or creditor are clear. One, there are three things they have to do. First, return the canceled note. Second, file satisfaction of mortgage or release and reconveyance. Third, return all money paid by the borrower at closing or in any uh, uh, future uh, uh, monthly payments. If the banks fail to do that, they have violated the statute and they have no claim against the borrower to get repaid. That's what the statute says. It is very clear on its face. If they don't like what is happening, they can file a lawsuit against the borrower within the 20-day period and seek to have the rescission vacated. If they don't do that in the 20 days, it is, by general consensus and simple logic, obvious that they have waived any defense to the rescission. And by the way, no big prejudice if they really loan the money because they can make a claim on the borrower and the bank that then loans the money to the borrower, the the next bank, will insist on paying off that debt so that it's not outstanding. That is the last debt. But we all know that those claims are probably never going to come. Why? Because we all know that none of the parties seeking foreclosure today or even collection have any right to collect it or any right to the money. They're not creditors. They're not servicers of that loan because their claim to servicing is by virtue of what is stated in the pooling and servicing agreement of a trust that doesn't own the loan. So, if anyone takes issue with whether the rescission should be effective that way, they need to file within the 20 days. And if they want to say the statute of limitations is run, they must do it in a lawsuit within the 20 days. Otherwise, the window closes. If they want to say it was a purchase money mortgage and that the borrower rescinded a loan that could not be rescinded under TILA, they must do it in a lawsuit filed within the 20 days. There are questions of fact in all of these so-called defenses as to whether or not it was really beyond the statute of limitations or really just a purchase money mortgage when coupled with a HELOC, et cetera. So everyone is having trouble with this after years of incorrect rulings from thousands of judges and thousands of courts that were interpreting the statute, which was clear and thus not subject to interpretation. So here it is. If notice of rescission is sent, the loan is over and the note and mortgage are void by operation of law. No lawsuit or tender of money or property is required, period. That's it. It apparently seems too simple for a lot of folks. 
too powerful for people to accept. In one punch, they could flatten a trillion-dollar giant? The answer is yes. Stop overthinking this. Our rescission, the rescission package that I offer and that other people offer similar services, analyzes the loan and gives you options and ways to utilize the rescission and related actions to enforce rescission and quiet title or quiet title. Remember that for those people who sent the rescission 10 years ago and never filed an action to enforce it, they're probably barred from actually getting an award for disgorgement of the monies that are due under the Taylor statute, and they're probably barred from getting an order requiring somebody to return the canceled note and file a satisfaction of mortgage. But it's not necessary because by operation of law, the mortgage is void, and therefore a quiet title action would appear to be uncontestable because despite the fact that no action was brought to enforce the, the loan, that's a choice made by the borrower, to enforce the rescission, excuse me, that's a choice made by the borrower, the, the fact remains that the rescission voided the mortgage. And therefore, it should be removed from the chain of title on that property, regardless of whenever that quiet title action is brought. So, we all know that the banks and services are going to try to defend after the 20 days. They're going to try to draw the borrowers to an argument over whether or not the rescission should have been sent. If it's after 20 days, in my opinion, the uh, borrowers should not be drawn into that argument and should refuse to enter into it. The issue after 20 days is, was the rescission sent? Yes. Okay. That's over. Now the question is, does the borrower, does a borrower have a right to enforce the rescission or has a statute of limitations barred him from doing that and is he merely entitled to quiet title? So, um, you really need to know how the effects of rescission can be jammed down the throats of these banks and how it automatically frees the property from the encumbrance of the mortgage, regardless of whether or not anyone actually filed the satisfaction of mortgage. In fact, the statute bars any action by the lender until they have complete, complied totally with the three duties that I outlined twice already here. So, some of the discussion I have had with with lawyers has revealed the areas, the projected areas of dispute and litigation regarding rescission, but nobody is saying that the rescission is or ever could be void. It must be set aside by a court, and that action must be filed within 20 days and might even be required to have been completed in the 20 days after notice of the rescission. If they don't file the action, they've waived their defenses. The rescission stands whether it was right or wrong, just like a verdict or judgment that is entered in the court records, right or wrong. Many lawyers expect the court to stand firm on the three-year statute of limitations 
and they and and many of them say that judges are not likely to want to extend the three years for equitable tolling. I think that they're correct in terms of their perception of the judges, but I also think that if ever a case could be made for equitable tolling, this is it. The banks lied and continued to lie right up through the present. If that doesn't extend the statute, I don't know what will. The information that gives rise to the right of rescission for lack of disclosure or proper disclosures is so complex that many borrowers still don't understand it and could not possibly know the factual or legal scenario in which they are being choked. Even borrowers who are now pursuing enforcement of rescission don't completely understand the scheme employed to deceive them, which went hand-in-hand with the scheme to defraud investors who bought worthless mortgage bonds from an unfounded, unfunded empty trust that never did any business. Those lawsuits from investors have begun in earnest, and they are claiming tens of billions and ultimately hundreds of billions in damages. That's what you're going to see in verdicts or settlements. Now it's the borrower's turn to take the offensive and bring the handful of banks that control nearly all of banking to their knees. And with that, I will try to take one or two questions. Let's see. Let's try area code 920, first three digits, 219. What is the uh, question? Yes. Uh, yes, well, um, basically the appellate just court just denied our, our appeal. And they also denied our motion for enforcement of TILA. So foreclosure sale is next Tuesday. What next? What is next is probably uh, whatever state you're in uh, was- going going up to the Supreme Court of that state, and if you don't get the uh, if they refuse to review it, then taking it into the federal system. They also refuse uh, our stay of uh, foreclosure sale, sheriff sale. Right. Well, like I said, the uh, the bench hates the Truth in Lending Act, and they hate the, the teal of rescission even more. So you can expect resistance, but ultimately, it's in my opinion, that you're going to win and that, in effect, you've already won, but it has yet to be recognized. Right, but we still have the sale for Tuesday. So the only way we know how to stop it is uh, Chapter 13. Well, there may be a federal court action. There's all kinds of things. You need to talk with local counsel. Uh, if it was happening in Florida, I would say I would go into federal court and seek a temporary restraining order preventing the sale from occurring. But, you know, uh, different uh, 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 states have different rules and so forth, but that's basically what I probably would do. Okay. All right. So then we will, well, we don't have much time. We have barely a minute. So um, let me uh, 
simply conclude this way. Rescission is deceptively simple. On the one hand, it's easy to invoke. You do it with a letter. On the other hand, the banks and services have made it crystal clear that they are going to fight rescission every inch of the way. And in my opinion, if you're going to seek to do something with a past rescission or you want to send a present rescission, you should have all the information at your fingertips uh, so that you can confront the banks just like the gentleman before who simply ignore the rescission. Thank you, and I will see you or talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.